So, it's January 18th, which means a couple of things. First of all, that uh, we are in our fourth Sunday and final Sunday in this series called All of Life, where we are looking at four main aspects uh, that kind of define life and look at it from the angle that we are stewards. We're not owners. We're stewards, managers of uh, many blessings and gifts that God has given to us all for His glory and the good of other people. That's what we've been doing. It's also January 18th, and so, uh, as I've mentioned before, this means that the visa bill came this week from Christmas. Yay! Can I get an amen? Somehow the humor went up and the joy seemed to go down at the same time. Right? It seems like an odd time of year to talk about stewardship. Right? It's kind of like that feeling we had when we gave into the social pressure of the ice bucket challenge. Right? It's hot out, and yet we filled the bucket with ice and water, and we've dumped it on our heads and basically screamed, some more than others, check my Facebook page, screamed at the shock of what seemed to be completely inappropriate given the weather in that cold. So it seems a little off timing. It's not really nice. We live in the shock. We're going to talk about stewardship of resources in January. Please, can we do this at another time? Don't tell me this is the token stewardship sermon in January just to help get giving up so we can pay the bills. By no means is that what it is. You know, January is a time that we talk about resolutions. That is, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be better, right? Make some changes in my life for my own good. See, that, that's fine and dandy, maybe it's fun, but it's not really rooted in the gospel, making some changes about being a better person. Really what we need to be thinking about as stewards is repentance, not resolution. That is, we believe God has a vision for us, and that vision is that over time, through the application of truth, that our lives are transformed by the power of the Spirit so that we look more like Jesus. That's God's heart for us. And so as we look at the new year, maybe we think more along the lines of, you know, yes, resolution, not so much, but repentance and obedience, conformity to the image of Christ, Rooted in the gospel, motivated by the gospel, we're going to make some significant changes empowered by the Spirit, especially in the area of that uncomfortable topic, how we manage the resources that God has entrusted to us. So it's our final one, uh, yet not, uh, it's last, but it is indeed not least. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 9. Let me give a disclaimer before I read. I'm not going to be able to address every detail every question, every related issue when it comes to finances in one week. Although you may at the end of this sermon say you tried to do that. As I've done my best to be diligent to deal with some of the relevant issues given the time that we have. So understand that there may be remaining questions and concerns about this, but please let's enter into the scriptures. Let's see what Paul has to say to the church in Corinth in this eighth chapter and maybe draw out some truth and some inspiration uh, and wisdom about how we are to steward our resources for the glory of God and the good of others. Chapter 8, 2 Corinthians, let's read together. Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God 
that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. And all God's people said, Amen. This is God's Word. Let us hear it, receive it, and obey it. Whether it's the military, or missionaries, or moms, you see the alliteration, right? Sacrificial examples are inspiring. I'm a big fan of of like the warrior movies where like the dude shows up, right? He's got a big cause, he's probably wearing camo, and he's taking on this great enemy on his own all for the sake of somebody else's benefit, even though it's probably going to cost him his life, definitely going to be at his personal cost, if not his life. He is throwing himself out there as a warrior, as a soldier, giving himself sacrificially. Many of those movies are kind of in right now, for sure, given all the military conflicts around the world. And so you watch a movie like that, and you get inspired. I don't know about you, but when I watch Lone Survivor, all of a sudden I'm doing push-ups in my living room. I'm doing burpees. Because all of a sudden I'm ready to do the same, right? I'm ready to be a warrior. And then I sit down and grab the remote and the bugles. But, uh, you know, military examples can inspire us. Missionaries like Jim Elliott, right? He gives his life to bring the gospel to an unreached people group, and he dies for it. It inspires us. And, of course, moms, right? We get a little bit close to home, and we know that moms give so much. They sacrifice so much of uh, what they would have in the temporary for the benefit of the many. The moms are a picture of sacrifice, right? And they inspire us when we see them. Look at, friends, we look at chapter 8 here, and we see an inspiration, uh, I'm sorry, an example of sacrificial giving that's inspiring the saint, right? Look at what he says. I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. What's the context here? 
Simply put, the church, the Christians in Jerusalem, are broke. They're hungry. There's a famine. There's no food. They have themselves a situation. They need what? Help. And so the Macedonians look at that situation and they respond with sacrificial giving. Look at what it says. It says that they had, uh, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They looked at the situation in Jerusalem and they were so overcome with joy at the opportunity, even in the midst of their own afflictions, even in the midst of what the text says was their extreme poverty, they couldn't wait to participate with the Jerusalem Christians in their need. What a combination. Severe test of affliction, abundance of joy. Not usually a combo we see. Right? Uh, extreme poverty, overflowing with generosity. So what you see here is we're looking at a group of people, the Macedonians, that are an example of sacrificial giving, and also you see that their financial struggles did not steal their joy, nor did it rob them of the joy of giving. That they looked at their situation they saw what they had, and the text says that they gave according to their means, and really beyond their means, as Paul can testify. They're an example of sacrificial giving. I love that. They, they begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. What a picture, what a contrast to sometimes the, uh, do I have to, the begrudging response to, all right, fine, I guess I can apportion a little bit of this and a little bit of that to help out a little bit here. They're begging, Paul, please, let us, by all means, take of whatever we have received and, and, and share in this struggle with other Christians. Let us take our understanding of the grace of God and biblical community and practically get involved in these people's struggle. We want to suffer with them. Talk about biblical community, right? We want to suffer with our brothers and sisters. Please let us. Give us the opportunity. We beg you. We're not, we don't have any money, but man, we just want to give. What a shock. What an example. And then you see later on in verse 9 that they're not the only example. But there's actually another example of sacrificial giving that is the foundation on which the Macedonians' giving is built. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Jesus is the ultimate example of of what sacrificial giving looks like. And I love that phrase. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was a gift for Him to do this. It was a gift, and an expression of His grace for Him to leave the heavenly riches. To come down here in, in the incarnation and take on human form. To become like us 
so that he might be with us, so that he might save us from this world, right? For, for our sake, he let go of all those heavenly riches, not because we deserved it, but because he is gracious to his people, right? Jesus is the ultimate example of sacrificial giving. In fact, he is what? The essence of it. He's not just another example, although he is an example. He's the essence of what sacrifice really is. He defines it. Sacrificial giving. And so we see this, that the grace of God is on display in the way the Macedonians respond to need. And why is it on display? Verse 9, because they know the grace of their Lord Jesus Christ. Right? It's expressing itself out because it's something they know deep inside. And so what I want to get at tonight is less about the fact and the act of giving. I want to get at the why of giving. Right? Giving is a stewarding of our resources that is indeed an overflow of grace in the lives uh, to meet uh, the, uh, the needs of other people, right? Jesus and the Macedonians become an example of what giving is. It's the overflow of grace that meets the needs of other people. And that sacrificial example inspires us to do the same. Look at verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Right? Excel in it. Grow in it. Don't be satisfied with the status quo. That is, make it a priority to do this really well. To respond to the grace you have received by becoming an instrument of that grace in the lives of other people. Right? It's all about grace. Stewarding our resources is all about the stewarding of the grace of Jesus that has been given to us in our embracing of the gospel. But grace in? What happens when grace comes in? Grace goes out. It's all about grace. There can be no other true motive for giving. The receiving of grace that by nature is one that when you receive it, you can't help but what? Give it. You can't help but do it. It's the nature of Christ's grace. If you know that grace, that grace is overflowing in your life. And that's really what the word excel means. What an amazing image. When I think of overflow, I think about the heat that happens on my little uh, like uh, pour-over pot in the morning when I do coffee. I always miss it, right? It's always exploding all over my stove. Maybe I'm trying to do too many things at once. But the intensity of the heat and the water, it cannot be contained. It explodes out. It comes out. It begins to affect all that is around it. That's the nature there. To excel in it is to really to overflow, right? And you think about the grace of God. It's not something that he spoon-fed us, right? Ephesians chapter 1. That he's lavished upon us his grace. He went all Niagara Falls on us. He literally poured out the riches of his grace and kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. 
in such a way that our measly little selves have no potential to contain it and hoard it for ourselves. That when we receive grace, the unmerited favor of God in Jesus Christ, it is received in such a way that it cannot be contained. It has to overflow into the lives of other people when we truly receive it. Unless we're talking about some other kind of grace. If we're talking about God's grace, it's going to overflow. That's what God's grace does. So see to it that your reception of grace overflows into the lives of other people. Stewardship of our resources is all about being motivated by the gospel, which highlights God's grace. That's what sacrificial examples do for us. They inspire us to do what we're supposed to with the resources we have. Let the grace overflow into the lives of others in the form of what? Giving, participating, sharing in the needs of other people. It's got to be about grace. But like I said, when I watch those movies with the military guys, I find myself going, you know, it's really not me. Sure, it's an inspiration in the moment to do some burpees and some push-ups. Right? But then I'm eating ice cream 20 minutes later. Right? If the reality is I'm not a warrior. <laughs> I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> right? I'm not a warrior. Right? I can't beat anybody up. I can't even beat up Silas. Right? Like, that's not me. It's not who I am. Matter of fact, if I were to really look into the mirror and think about the way that I approach money, I might realize that there are some poisons in my heart and I want to point out three of them that maybe prevent us from stewarding our resources well. The first one is greed. Those who are greedy don't steward well. You want to know why? Because they're an undersatisfied people. That is, they need more. If I just get X, I'll be happy. And then they get X, guess what they need? Y. And they get wise. Oh, finally, man, I got why, man, we're golden. And then what do they realize that they really want? They want Z. And then they realize they need a whole nother alphabet. Because no matter how much they receive, they always need more. They're never truly satisfied with the pleasures of this world. And actually, by the way, that gives us insight into the world. It does not satisfy. The things, the things of this world just simply does not satisfy. And so when we're motivated by greed, we simply are undersatisfied. And when the opportunity is presented, there is need. There's opportunity. They won't give because there's no desire to. Not interested in that. I'm only interested in amassing pleasure and affluence for myself. I want more. Not everyone's greedy, though. Some people are just flat out scared. Fear drives them and paralyzes them from partaking in giving. These aren't people that are undersatisfied. These are the people that oversave, right? That is, they constantly bite their fingernails about the future. They've got, they're consumed with their 401k, right? They're even mad that it costs seven bucks to trade on E-Trade. Like, they're just mad about that. It's got to be a cheaper way, right? They're oversavers. They often drive their wives crazy. They got like five, ten grand in, undispo or in disposable savings. And every time their wife goes out to get a haircut or maybe buys a new purse, they flip. Like they can't enjoy the present, right? In, in any way, shape, or form. They have to save for the future, save for the rainy day. And again, I'm not telling you to not save. Please steward your resources well. Save, 
right? But we can get consumed with that, and we can uh, be an idolater of the future and really be driven by worry and fear, which is really unbelief. So when we're afraid, the opportunity comes to give, and they simply won't give because there's no courage. What if? What if I let go of this $100? What will happen? I'll lose this, I'll lose that. And so the goal is control at all costs. But really, they're being controlled by their fears, right? Last, mismanagement. I think this is the biggest one. Mismanagement. It's, it's really uh, driven by impulsivity. Latte. Okay. Right? Feelings. And 575 is gone. Latte. Movies. Right? Vacation. Why are you doing that? I just felt like it. I thought of it. I had the money. I did it. I didn't even have the money, but I still did it. Right? So mismanagement of resources, what happens is these people have no budget. They have no intentionality, no self-control, driven by impulsivity. They do anything they want when they want without any reference to financial consequence. Mismanagement, right? And when the opportunity comes for them to give, you know what they do? They go, I want, I want to, I'm in. Can, let me sign me up. I want to help. And they look at their checkbook, and guess what? There's nothing to give. It's not about willingness or courage, it's about capacity. The money that was available to be used for the needs of others, the ministry or mission of the church, the the glory of God, it's gone. I think if we were honest, we would all admit that to some degree, at some point, greed, fear, and just flat-out mismanagement has plagued us and really severed us from the opportunities to steward the resources of God really well in a way that shows that, man, the grace of God has been poured into our heart. And man, look at it overflow. You're begging for the opportunity to share in the suffering of the saints. And even there, I think we can get ourselves in trouble. Because right now we're feeling guilty or convicted Convicted might be good, but we feel the guilt of our struggles. And then you know what we do? We go, okay, I'll give two. Right? I, I can't deal with the greed, and I can't deal with the fears, and I, I just can't stop spending here or there. So what I'll do is I'll also start giving a lot so as to make myself feel better about guilt or, or about my, my lack of stewardship and maybe appease my guilt. We become our own remedy. We become our own antidote to our own lack of stewardship. But friends, that's not the answer. That only leads to self-righteousness at best. Guess what the answer is? We're back to grace. God is sufficient. Jesus is perfect. And what we really need is grace to, again, reshape our values and transform our decisions about every dime that God has entrusted to us. It's the grace of God that will give us contentment. Amen? It's the grace of God that will give us faith. And it is the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only remedy for our lack of self-control. 
not ourselves. Stewarding our resources. I'm slurring in my third message. Stewarding our resources will be giving. Sacrificially, giving. Loss. It'll be giving. But it must be motivated by the Gospel. It must be the overflow of grace to be true stewardship. And it also will be representative of the Gospel. And I just want to finish by touching on a few things uh, in that regard. Depending on your Bible, you may just look to the next few paragraphs or you may have to flip a page. I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 as well. What does the overflow of grace look like for you? For us? What does it mean to be representative of the Gospel? Well, uh, to... When giving is the overflow of grace, this next passage tells us that it's decisive and it's cheerful. Look at verse 7, chapter 9. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Right? Again, the operative principle here is not law. The operative principle is what? Give me the G word. Grace or gospel, right? You could have got me there. That's the operative principle, right? Not that. But we do see a command here. We do see it. Each one must give. You see, giving is not reserved for those who have a ton of money left over after the bills, a.k.a. the rich. Each one must give. It's going to take every man, woman, and child to reach every man, woman, and child. It's not for a select few. Each one must give. Each one that has truly and genuinely received the grace of God in Christ must give. Because that's the motive. That's, that's the response that grace causes. It just, it just happens. It overflows. So each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Someone say, well, how much should I give? There it is, right? what you've decided in your heart. That's the amount that it says. This is a, not a, it's decisive. It's not based on feelings. It's not based on emotions. It's not something you do only spontaneously when you feel like it. Right? I'm a big fan of spontaneous giving, but I don't think that's primarily what he's getting at here. Each one must give what he has decided in his heart. He sought the Lord on this. He's prayed. He's reviewed his business. He said, this is practically what the overflow of grace will mean on a regular day-to-day ongoing basis. Decided it. And there's follow-through. A decision is made, and then there's follow-through in faith. Not just when there's a lot left over. After Netflix is paid, the movie tickets are bought, the car payments, the lattes, the mortgage payments, how much we got left, that's how much we get. No, 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 no. It's a predetermined amount through prayer. Each one must give what he's decided in his heart. So much more thought could be put into that in conversation. But I think what it conveys is it's a commitment that you make. But it's not one that you make begrudgingly. It's cheerful. God loves it. Cheerful giving. That's, that's what grace does, right? Begging us earnestly for the favor. 
No one is coercing you. No one is manipulating you. No one's running a video so that you cry and throw your money in the plate. Nobody's trying to do that. Not at this church. Shoot, I better, I guess, we might want to do a video at some point. But not just simply to make you cry to give. Okay? It's got to be motivated by grace. The overflow. No one is coercing you. No one is manipulating you. Right? What we see is we're preaching the gospel to you and to me. We're saying give cheerfully. As a matter of fact, let me be clear. If you're giving and you're ticked about it, keep your money. Keep it. You know why? God doesn't need it. He's kind of rich. He has the whole world at his disposal. We don't give because God needs it. He's going to be just fine. Right? So if you're mad, keep it. And just pray that God changes your heart. And that it's the overflow of grace that is really the most exciting thing you can do with your wallet is drop it into somebody else's hand. Right? God loves a cheerful giver. No grumpy giving. Repeat it. No grumpy giving. All right. So you ask the question, do I have to tithe? Do I have to give 10% of my income? Well, there's much opinion. There's much controversy here. And I'm not going to dispel it all and be the perfect proclaimer here tonight, especially in about 40 seconds as I talk about this. But bottom line, if you review the New Testament text, you can't find it. You cannot find in the New Covenant era the direct command that every Christian must give 10% of their gross income to the local church or else. Can't find it. Man, pastors want to find it. But they can't. But if you look at the whole of Scripture, I don't think it's wise to just conclude that we're off scot-free. We're actually missing the point. Right? We're, we're actually missing the point here. If, again, the operative principle is not law. Somebody say amen to that. But the operative principle is grace. And oh, how much more powerful and deserving and Demanding of a response, the, the grace of God is to change the way we deal with our cash. So again, I'm not saying throw the tenth out, biblically, like as if all of a sudden, just because it's no longer required, that it becomes this irrelevant thing to measure what? The overflow of grace. I'm saying it might be a helpful way for you to measure whether or not you truly value God. And, and, and truly are, are, are living your life in a way that is, that is reflective of a receiving of the gospel. I think it's a place to maybe look at it. And really, the question isn't, again, if we're thinking about grace as the operative principle, it's not, do I have to give 10%? Really, what we see here and what we see the Christians do in Acts is they're saying, can I please give you 10? Can I give you 12? Can I give you 14? How much can I give you? Is what grace does to us, doesn't it? So we want a, an easy number to make us feel good about how we're responding to grace. Okay, I gave 10. I am a Christian. There's no easy way out there. Respond in a way that represents your joy in God. <laughs> and your willingness to forego worldly pleasures. Right? Because there's no joy there. 
And really the question is, you say, do I have to give 10% and I give you the out? Well, well, why wouldn't you? Give me a good reason why you wouldn't. The Bible doesn't say, okay, you got me there, but it does talk about grace and it does talk about the overflow. And I'm pretty sure grace was powerful enough to change the heart of men, which the law was incapable of doing. And do I have to give money to my church? There's another big one. Do I have to give it to the church? Again, I don't think that necessarily you're going to find a New Testament text that demands that all 10% of gross income must go to local church that you are a part of, period, end of story. I don't think you find a New Testament text. If you want to point one out, by all means, let's chat after the service. I don't find it. And we are not the the new uh, sacrificial system and the new temple. We are the new temple, but not in the way that we see in the old covenant. That we got to fund the new temple system. I don't see that. I don't see that. Jesus paid that in full. Amen? But again, I go, if you want the simple, no, I guess not. But why wouldn't you? Like, why wouldn't you give to the local church? Let me put it to you this way. This is not manipulative. This is fact. Jesus died for the church. He gave his life for the church. When we've been hurt and frustrated and offended and manipulated and coerced to build a brand, to build a church, to put up a building, to expand a mini-kingdom. We're sensitive to that. And really, to be honest, on behalf of the elders here and the church of Jesus, let me say something that I genuinely mean. I'm sorry. The church is really messed up a lot. But it's still the church. Still Christ's bride. As imperfect as it is. And in some fashion of divine wisdom, guess what the church is? The missionary instrument of God to reach the world. Do I have to? Guess not. Why wouldn't you? Given the nature and purpose of the church. So when giving is the overflow of grace, it is indeed decisive and it is cheerful. I'm going to be quick about the last few. The rest of the passage talks about when giving is the overflow of grace, it rests in the Father's faithful provision. What an antidote to fear. Every night we pray at dinner. You know why? Because I like driving my kids crazy. Right? Hot dinner, daddy's got to pray for the nation's. Really? Dad, can we just eat? One of the reasons we pray at dinner is because the adults and the kids need to be reminded that Jesus has provided this. Mommy made it and managed it good. But guess what? God gave it to us. Daddy worked hard, sure. Mommy worked hard, absolutely. But the source of this provision is the Father. Right? Look at what the text says. God is able to make all grace abound to you. You're going to have all sufficiency in all things at all times. 
You're going to abound in every good work. He who supplied seed uh, to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. The point is God's going to provide. <laughs> so the giving that is the overflow of grace can let it go because he knows without a shadow of a doubt that he will not go hungry. That his father will indeed provide for every single need that he has. He may not have a Lexus. It's okay. But if God wants him to get somewhere, guess what? God will make a way. Our Lord is faithful. Our Father is perfect in his provision. We do not need to fear. Child of the living God, please hear that promise. He is faithful. You will be cared for. So we can open our hands and say, you can have it, Lord. Church, you can have whatever you need. It's all yours. My house, my money, whatever you need. I want to take part in it because all it does is open up an opportunity for me to experience the unthinkable provision of my Father. Can I get in on that? God is able. And when giving is the overflow of grace, it has as its greatest affection what? Not even the meeting of somebody else's need. A lot of caring people out there. They find their identity in helping. I just want to help somebody. That's a good thing. Not necessarily to find your identity in it, but helping others, being compassionate, pouring self out for the needs of others. But it must be seen as a means to another end, giving. And that end is primarily, at least when it's the overflow of grace, that end is God being worshipped. God being thanked. God being praised. Right? That's what's amazing about it. That's the nature of grace, right? Why did God give me all of His blessings in Jesus? Why did He pour out His grace into my life? Ultimately. So that we might worship Him what he wants it's what he deserves worship glory he wants to be praised he wants to be made made much of that's why he dispensed his grace into our heart so that we might joyfully respond in a way that we could not on our own give him praise and so as we give right look at what it says verse 11 through us will produce thanksgiving to god Many thanksgiving to God, verse 12. Uh, they will glorify God, verse 13. Verse 15, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Worship. Is that your desire when you give? Do you want affirmation? Do you want a pat on the back? Do you want to be seen by others as Jesus talks about? Do you want to feel good about self ultimately? May our affections and our desires and our goals be simply this, that we want nothing more and nothing less than God to be worshipped. And I love it because our worship, guess what it does? We worship with our wallets, and what does it inspire in somebody else's life? Worship. Worship leads to what? Worship. I love that. It's got to be our single affection. That God is worshipped. And really, when we think about all of life, whether it be the stewardship of our relationships, the stewardship of our time, 
the stewardship of our giftedness, and now finally, the stewardship of our resources. There's really a three-word phrase that I think that we just need to rest in and ultimately submit to, well, ultimately really to celebrate. Simple phrase, it was the earliest form of the gospel message. You know what it was? Three words. Jesus is Lord. Man, we love Jesus' grace when it defeats sin, Satan, and death. Woo! Jesus! You're awesome! But when it comes to be a universal and absolute declaration for the world to hear that deserves and demands a response over every aspect of our lives, He's King. He's Lord. That's good news. But it's yet news that we need to humbly bow the knee to. And that's every dollar in our pocket. Right? We think that's the root issue with our lack of stewardship and those who steward it well. It's the simple receiving of Embracing and submitting to the reality that what? Jesus is Lord. May we all submit to that together. Stewarding our resources will mean giving. But it will be a giving that is motivated by the Gospel and representative of the Gospel. It will be truly an overflow of the grace of God into the needs and lives of other people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to You and we confess that we have failed and sinned and struggled here often. I know I have. In our sin, we're greedy. We're scared. We're just poor managers of what You have given to us. We confess that together. And yet, for every sin, there is a remedy. For every poison in our hearts, there is an antidote. And it is Christ. His love His grace and His power to change us. Together, we rest in Him. And we pray that You would motivate us anew to live our lives with an open hand, representing Your grace, Your generosity for a world that needs it so desperately. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.